Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we will be discussing the article, Development of Human Electrophysiological Brain Networks. This article was chosen for December's issue of APS Select, a collection of the very best original research published by the American Physiological Society. Before we begin, let's meet our guests. Hi, I'm Paul Briley. I'm a clinical academic at the Institute of Mental Health at the University of Nottingham in England. And hi, I'm Peter Little. I'm the director of the Translational Neuroimaging for Mental Health program here at uh, University of Nottingham. I'm a psychiatrist by background and training, but I also do research into brain function and mental disorders, etc. Thank you. Could you explain the concept of functional connectivity and cognitive networks? Yeah, in human brain imaging over the last decade, there's been a real shift in focus from looking at the role of individual brain regions in brain functions to looking at the way that brain activity is coordinated across distributed networks of regions. Structural connectivity refers to the white matter tracks connecting regions, but these tracks may be used to different degrees at different times. Functional connectivity refers to when regions are talking to each other or working together on an aspect of brain processing. And we measure this by looking at correlations in the activity patterns between brain regions. Yeah, and one interesting thing that we find, and indeed a lot of people have been observing, is that very similar set of brain networks are involved in coordinating brain activity, both during specific tasks, but also during spontaneous mental activity that occurs when people are notionally at rest. Now, these networks, some of them are supporting relatively low-level functions like visual perception, whereas other networks are involved in the coordination of higher cognitive functions and these networks include one to do with executive functions which are functions concerning planning responses to challenging situations etc but uh, there's also another network that's very much devoted to attention to our own internal mental world our own if you like thoughts about ourselves and that network concerning the internal world is known as the default mode network what is known about the development of these networks? FMRI, Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging Studies, have shown that local connections between nearby brain regions are seen early in development, whilst long-range connections develop later. And this is broadly consistent with the view that low-level perceptual systems, such as the visual system, are well-developed in childhood whereas higher level cognitive functions and behavioural control processes continue to develop into young adulthood. The long range networks that we can see with functional magnetic resonance imaging include, as you mentioned earlier, the executive network, the default mode network. These tend to become more clearly demarcated during development across childhood and into adolescence so that, for example, the network concerned with processing the internal world tends to switch off when we're engaged in dealing with challenging situations in the external world and vice versa. Now, obviously, it's a, a helpful thing to separate different aspects of processing so that these processes don't get confused. Although also when one thinks about it, it's clear that if we're going to have an overall integration of brain activity, then there has to be some form of interaction or communication between these different networks as well. How and why did you use MEG to assess functional connectivity? 
Communication between brain regions is strongly based on the transmission of signals that oscillate at a range of different frequencies. An MEG, magnetoencephalography, can measure brain activity with far greater temporal resolution than fMRI, so it can identify the separate oscillatory signals. It is likely that communication in different frequency bands may serve different roles in communication within and between brain networks, so measurements of distinct frequencies might assess unique aspects of communication from fMRI. Beta band oscillations have been shown to be involved particularly in long-range communication within the networks, and that's oscillations in the frequency range about 13 to 30 cycles a second. A recent MEG study by Schaefer and colleagues in Toronto indicated that the beta band oscillations that mediate communication both within and between networks do develop over time, but the way they analysed the time variation didn't allow them to actually get the details of the developmental sequence. So they weren't really able to say which connections developed earlier or later. And so what we set out to do in in our study was to examine the actual details of the time course of the development of connections within and between the networks. What did you find? We found that communication in the low-level visual network developed earliest, reaching near-adult levels prior to adolescence, whereas communication in the higher-level cognitive networks was poorly developed in childhood and continued to develop throughout adolescence into young adulthood, consistent with the time courses that have previously been observed in the development of higher cognitive functions. Yeah, and furthermore, we found that not only that the communication within each of these networks developed in the manner that Paul's just described, but also that the communication between the long-range networks concerned with higher functions developed on a very similar time schedule, demonstrating that the overall integration between different networks develops throughout the teenage years and into young adult life. What are the implications and next steps of your work? So there's growing evidence that the development of connections within and between networks is disrupted in disorders such as ADHD that cause serious disruption of childhood development, as well as in severe mental disorders that commence in young adult life, such as schizophrenia. And both MEG and fMRI have a role to play in understanding these abnormalities in development, and humans that are directed by network connectivity therefore may have great therapeutic potential. We're currently developing various therapies based on network connectivity. For example, we're developing cognitive training programs. We hope will improve attentional functions. We're also doing brain stimulation therapies, which involve passing weak electric currents through the scalp and the brain to enhance the recruitment of specific brain networks during relevant tasks. And we're using magnetoencephalography to monitor the changes that are occurring during these interventions. I'd like to thank our guests for participating in today's discussion of the article, Development of Human Electrophysiological Brain Networks, part of the podcast series for Journal of Neurophysiology. Music